0: Open up your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Thanks for being here on everyone's least favorite Sunday of the year. (laughs) But you made it. In just about an hour, you can be at home taking a nap if you wanted to. If you're a guest with us, thank you for being here. We've been making our way through 2 Timothy, and today we're getting to Verse 14 through 17 of chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 through 17. Just so everybody's on the same page, the uh, Apostle Paul is writing this letter to his true son in the faith, Timothy. Paul didn't have uh, children of his own. Timothy was as close to a son as he ever got. Uh, Timothy is just more than Paul's little boy. Timothy is a pastor of pastors. He's responsible, not just for one church, but probably many churches. And Timothy has found himself in an interesting position because on one side of him, he has the apostle Paul, who uh, has been his mentor, has really been the person that he's learned uh, faith from. But Paul is in prison, And on the other side of Timothy, you have opponents of the Apostle Paul who are saying to him, are you sure that you can trust Paul? Because if God had really blessed him, why would he end up in jail? That doesn't seem like a a right math equation. God has blessed you and you end up in jail. And even what we know from history is the Apostle Paul is not going to make it out of jail. He's going to be executed there, uh, going to give his life because of the gospel of Jesus. And, 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 And Timothy is wrestling with those two things. I know Paul. I've been an eyewitness. I've had a front row seat to his incredible ministry. And, and yet, is it true that, that maybe God hasn't blessed Paul and that's how he ends up in prison? But Paul writes him this letter to remind him of the things that he knows. And he tells Timothy, keep following the path that I have laid out for you. And that, in fact, that's how verse 14 starts. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. And you know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So he tells Timothy, I want you to keep following me, and along that path, You need to develop and you need to maintain trust and treasure for God's scripture. Look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, and you know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scripture. So Paul is saying to Timothy, not only should you trust me, but you should also trust everyone who has taught you the word of God. And for Timothy, that was three primary people, at least three that we know. The apostle Paul, who we've already mentioned, and then his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. In fact, that's how the letter starts uh, with just, just a few verses. Paul has already mentioned Lois and Eunice by name, saying to Timothy, remember that you are a continuation of not just me, but of also the spiritual heritage that you have. You learn the scripture from these important people. We are always benefiting From someone else's dedication to Jesus. Like, I'm especially thankful for uh, Scott Greer. You, You don't know him. In fact, a lot of people don't know him, but he was my seventh grade Sunday school teacher at my church. And he had a passion for memorizing God's word, and he wanted us to memorize the scripture as well. And so we did what any good parent would do. He bribed us and said, if you are able to remember last week's scripture, then you can get candy. And I don't mean like a little bite of candy. I mean a full size king size butter finger candy bar, which happened to be my favorite. So you bet you, I had my scriptures memorized because I was in seventh grade. I wasn't eating breakfast before we came to church. I wasn't putting on deodorant or combing my hair either. So breakfast for me was my scripture memory, king size butter finger, And I don't know why he did that. Um, why he went out of his way, all that expense, week in and week out, all I know is the scriptures that he had us memorize, I can still bring out of my mind. We're all benefiting from someone else's dedication to Jesus. And, and Paul is reminding Timothy, hey, you learned this from me. You learned this from your mother. You learn this from your grandmother, verse 15. And you know that from infancy, you've known the sacred scripture we know from the book of Acts that Timothy's father was a Gentile, he was Greek, but Timothy's mother was Jewish. And if you were Jewish, at the age of five is when you began to seriously take in the scripture, uh, not only studying it, but memorizing it and understanding it. So for as long as Timothy could remember, his grandmother and his mother made sure that he was receiving God's word. And when it says sacred scripture here in 2 Timothy, Paul is talking about the Old Testament uh, because they didn't have the New Testament in the form that we have it all bundled up together. At the time, it was just letters, the letters that we have, but they were just letters at the time being passed around from church to church to church. They were treating these letters as scripture, but it wasn't in the form that we have it now. Not everybody had a copy of it all together. But Timothy knew the Old Testament scripture from as early as... He could remember. And look what Paul says the scripture is good at doing. You've known the sacred scripture, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We see Jesus using the scripture for this very purpose. If you, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus has begun to make appearances after his resurrection. You remember he was crucified on a Friday. Uh, Sabbath was Saturday in first century Jewish culture, and that started at actually sundown on Friday. So they kind of rushed Jesus' burial on Friday. They just wrapped him up, and they put him in this tomb, but they, it wasn't complete. It wasn't the way you would bury somebody permanently. And so a group of disciples who were women, they were coming back on Sunday morning, which was their first available opportunity after the Sabbath was over. You weren't allowed to do any of this kind of work on the Sabbath. So they were coming back early early Sunday morning to prepare Jesus' body for permanent burial. But you know the story. When they get there, the tomb uh, is open. The stone has been rolled away. There's no body in it. And, and yet Jesus begins to appear to them as resurrected. Well, they go back, they tell the other disciples he's alive. But that was greeted with some skepticism. Two of the disciples, and we don't know their names in Luke chapter 24, but two of them left that upper room uh, that the women, women had gone back to and said, hey, he's alive. And uh, now they're traveling up the road to Emmaus. And while they're walking along the road, Jesus appears to them. Now, he does, that, he does not let them know that it's him. So for some reason, they can't recognize it. And he asks them, hey, what's your story? What's going on with you? And, and, the, and they give a reader's digest of everything that happened. We've believed in Jesus. We thought he was the Messiah. But unspoken in their statement is, but we guess he's not because he was crucified. And oh, by the way, some of our Uh, friends went to the tomb this morning and, uh, he's not there and they say that he's alive, but you can tell when you read Luke chapter 24, they don't believe it. And in verse 25, Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So isn't this interesting that you have two disciples who are discouraged because they have placed their faith in Jesus, but he's been crucified. So already they think, well, we missed the boat. We thought he was God's savior, but clearly he's not because he suffered and died. They are obviously not believing the resurrection story from the the, the ladies who said they have seen Jesus alive. But instead of Jesus just revealing himself to them and saying, hey, I'm alive, what does he do? Still hiding from them He takes them back into the Scriptures. It says, starting with Moses. Moses, historically, is believed to be the one responsible for the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then all the prophets. Essentially, Jesus starts in the beginning of the Scripture, and he walks them through so that they could see his suffering on the cross wasn't just random. It was actually a fulfillment. His resurrection was a fulfillment of all that God had planned laying the groundwork through hundreds and thousands of years of Jewish history. He, he could have just said, surprise, it's me. But he didn't. He showed them the scriptures. In fact, later on in verse 32, he said, they said to one another when they realized it was Jesus, were our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? So, even Jesus knows that the scriptures are able to make people wise to the salvation that he is bringing. I went to a conference years ago, and the keynote speaker was talking about how to share your faith without getting in an argument, which was really appealing because, on one hand, we want to talk about these things that are so important to us and that we believe. On the other hand, we don't want to be argumentative with people. I mean, some of you do, but most of us don't. Yeah. And so the idea that you could do these two things at the same time, share what is so important and not argue was really appealing. And, and essentially what he said was, you just ask people a couple of simple questions. Number one, do you have any religious beliefs? Number two, who do you think Jesus is? Number three, if, if you, what do you think happens after a person uh, passes away? And then the last question is, uh, if what you were believing weren't true, would you want to know? And then he says, if they say, yeah, I would want to know. He said, just hand them your Bible. And you turn a few places and, and, and let them read the scripture for themselves. And then you just ask them what they think it means. And if they're way off base, then you can know that God's still working in their life. And they're not really uh, anywhere close to committing their life to Jesus. But if they give you the right answer, then you go to another scripture, ask them the same thing. What do you think it means? And that way you'll know that God is at work. Because the point he was making is God works through the scripture. You and I don't have to do the heavy lifting. We don't have to talk someone into Jesus' kingdom. God will do that for us. Well, I, I honestly, I didn't believe him. So after the session was over, I thought, well, I'm just going to do a little experiment. And so I found the first person that would stop and talk to me. And I said, hey, you got any religious beliefs? The guy said, no, he was about my age. Uh, no, not, not especially, I guess. Who do you think Jesus is? Mm. He didn't really have a good answer for that. What do you think happens to a person after they die? I don't know. I said, well, if you could know for sure the answers to these questions, would you want to know? And he said, yeah. So I handed him my Bible, and the first place I had him turn was Romans chapter 3, verse 23, real simple verse. I said, read it out loud. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I said to him, what do you think it means? He said, I, I guess it's saying that we're, we're all sinners. Great. Turned a few pages to the to the right. Romans chapter six, verse 23. Read it out loud for me. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. What do you think it means? I guess because we're sinners, we deserve death, but God has given us a gift in eternal life. Fantastic. A few pages to the left. John chapter 14, verse six. Read it for me. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What do you think that means? If I want to get to God, I have to go through Jesus. I mean, I I cannot believe that this is working because at the beginning of the conversation, he's saying, I don't have any religious beliefs. I don't really have a strong opinion about who Jesus is, but here he's giving me the right answers uh, to these, these questions without any prompts from me. And so we turned to one more place. And about that time, a friend of his interrupted our conversation, kind of distracted all of us. and, And then they ended up going away. But the point was made home to me that, that the scripture does make us wise for salvation. We, we think we have to have all the answers, but we don't. In, in fact, maybe instead of you waiting until you have all the answers before you have a spiritual conversation with somebody, what if you just figured out how to get a Bible to them, number one? And then number two, offer to read it with them. And then you don't even have to be an expert at answering the questions when they read it. You can just say, what do you think it means? Because the scripture is able to make us wise for salvation. And the reason it is able to do that is because of what it says in verse 16. Look at that with me. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is inspired by God. It it means all scripture has been breathed out by God in the same way that when God created Adam, he formed Adam out of the dirt and he breathed his life into Adam. God has breathed his life into his word. In the Old Testament, you'll see the phrase, the word of the Lord over and over and over again. And it will often say the word of the Lord came to Joshua, the word of the Lord came to Gideon, the word of the Lord came to Moses, the word of the Lord came to David. And when the scripture says the word of the Lord came to, it's another way of saying God came to. God is now present and acting in this situation in the life of this person. And that's what Paul is saying about the scripture, that when we interact with it, God is present and God is active. It's not just a textbook about some things that were true a long time ago. God's very presence is with us. His very life is with us in the scripture. And so it says it's profitable. It's useful for, and then it gives us a list, first for teaching. And that's what he says back in verse 15. It's able to give us wisdom for salvation. It's useful for rebuking. Uh, To rebuke means to expose. Uh, It it means to make aware. A couple of weeks ago, our daughter Willa, who was three, uh, was uh, near one of our electrical outlets. And to my knowledge, she has no experience with that. She's not been tempted yet by it, but I could see her brain kind of working as she was staring at it right in front of her. And, uh, and so before she even made a move to stick something in there, I, I yelled across the room, uh, to her, you know, don't do that. And then explained why as best as, as I could in the way that she would understand. Biblically speaking, I rebuked her, I exposed her to this knowledge that she didn't have. I alerted her. I warned her. And that's one thing that the scripture is good at. It, it alerts us, it warns us, it exposes things that we don't know, but we need to know. You know, Jesus consistently did this with the Pharisees, but they didn't listen. I wonder if we have the ears to hear warnings and alerts from the word of God. When God wants to show us something that we don't know, when he wants to make us aware, are we able to listen? It's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking. It's useful for correcting. A lot of us would like to just stay with the rebuking part, especially when we think about you know our culture, out there outside the church, there there seems to be a lot to rebuke, but you know that phrase uh, preaching to the choir it 's when uh, pastors would uh, occasionally turn around to the choir now obviously you 've got to use your imagination here uh, we don 't have one and and would preach to the choir it means one of two things: number one, it means that he 's telling that group of people something that they already know uh, they already believe, um, so preaching to the choir means i 'm saying something that you already agree with, or it means that you're giving a hard time to people who are doing the most, And we like to preach to the choir, or more specifically, we like to rebuke to the choir. We like to say to one another, aren't those people out there so bad, Aren't they just not getting it? Don't they just not know the truth? The problem is, is we're just preaching to the choir. We're just saying that to one another, and we already know that. We've already been alerted to that. We've already been made aware of that. And so we agree with one another, but all it ends up doing is making us angry at the people out there or making us self-righteous about how much better we are in here. But a rebuke is meant to be to a person who needs the warning. I don't say to my big kids every day when they get home from school, hey, keep your fingers out of the outlets. We've already been down that road. They already know that, right? We could form a little study group, the three of us, me and Annabeth and Jackson, about how we're so great at not sticking our fingers in the outlets. It's been 7,000 days since I've done it, and that was the last time that you did it. Let's talk today about the dangers of electricity. Let's talk about currents. Let's talk about voltage. Right? Uh, meanwhile, Willa, is toddling over to an outlet. The person who needs the warning isn't getting the warning because we're over here talking about how we've already been warned. Right. You know, we always talk about truth and love. It's, it's. I think it's easy to speak the truth in love when you're actually speaking the truth to the person who needs to hear it. Because they're a human being right there in the flesh, who has a, a story and a background, who has pain, and so the word rebuke feels strong and aggressive. But it's amazing how gentle that warning will come out when you genuinely care about a real person. Once the rebuke has happened, it's it it it, it we can't just be content. To stop there, there's correcting, right? Correcting is the what's next. After I've been alerted, after I've been warned, after the truth has been exposed, now here's what I do next. Uh, it, it, it's used medically to describe the resetting of a broken bone. The rebuke is your arm is broken. Correcting is now the bone has been set right and it can grow back together again. If you remember Jesus' interaction with the rich young lawyer, the young man comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what about the commandments? And the the kid goes, yeah, I've done all those. In fact, I'm really good at doing those things. And Jesus says, one thing you need to add to that, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. And the scripture says that the young man goes away sad because he wasn't willing to follow through. He wasn't willing to be corrected. He wasn't willing to take the new path. And some of us just stop at the rebuke. Well, I know I shouldn't do that. I know I shouldn't have done that. I know that that shouldn't be a pattern in my life. But if we're not willing to follow through, we're not letting the scripture do its full job, only half of its job of exposing what's wrong. But there's also a correcting. There's, there's change. There's follow through. And then the last thing in the list It's useful, profitable for training in righteousness. I love the way one person said it's a a system of discipline. It's the the daily practice of the faith. That's why Jesus would invite disciples to come and, what, learn from him? No, follow him. He he didn't just educate. He gave practical hands-on learning to the disciples. He would preach the kingdom of God. He would heal the sick. He would cast out demons. And then halfway through his ministry, he would send out his disciples to go and do the same thing. He didn't go with them. He didn't check in on them. He didn't hold their hand. He says, no, you're going to practice these things. You've watched me do it. I've trained you. And part of that training is the doing. The scripture helps us to do the things that the scripture tells us to do. Verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that the man of God... Now, what's interesting is what Paul is doing is is, is putting a mirror in front of Timothy after saying these things. Because it would be easy to hear these things and, and only hear them through the lens of of oh, I know somebody who needs to hear that. I know somebody who needs to be taught. I know somebody who needs to be rebuked. I I know somebody who needs to be corrected. I know somebody who needs to be trained. Timothy, no doubt, had people in his churches that he was picturing with each one of those things. But Paul says, so that the man of God, so that you, Timothy, will be complete. Not so that other people will be complete, but so you. Paul wants Timothy to take this passage personally. And so we need to take it personally today too. And we all have people who need to be taught and corrected and rebuked and trained. But you, this is for you. When Jesus was in the upper room having the final supper with his disciples, he's, he says to them, One of you is going to betray me. And in Mark and Matthew's gospel, I love the way the King James records their response. They say, Master, is it I? So they, they all ask, Is it me? One of one of you is going to betray me, and they say back to him, is, "Is it is it me?" You compare that in the Old Testament. You remember when King David had an affair um, with Bathsheba. Uh, he took advantage of her, used her power. He summoned her to the, uh, used his power, uh, summoned her to the palace she's married but she ends up pregnant and so then David covers up the pregnancy by having her husband killed and then they're going to get married and people will just think that the baby is is his the prophet Nathan comes because essentially David is getting away with it the, everything is going according to his plan but the prophet Nathan comes and tells David a little story about a man who had a little lamb that's you know where Mary had a little lamb came from I don't think so but that would be amazing if it was This guy had this little lamb, and it was his pet, and he loved the lamb and treated it like a child, which is super weird, and um, just loved it. Uh, There was a rich man also in the area who had tons of lambs, sheep, goats, cows. I mean, just had everything. He was super rich. And the rich man had a visitor come to his house, and so he was going to have a dinner. But instead of using one of his many, many, many lambs, he goes and takes the one lamb of the guy who just had the one. And loved it so much. And David is outraged, and you know, because David is responsible for the kingdom of Israel, and he's thinking, "Who did this under my watch? I'm going to make sure that this rich man gets what is coming to him." And you may remember that the prophet Nathan says, "You are that man. This is what you have done with Uriah and his wife Bathsheba." Because we kind of get those two choices. We can say to God, is it me? It might be me. Or we can wait and God will say, it's you. After we've already made the mistake. After we've sinned. After we've hurt people. That's why a little phrase like, so that the man of God... So that you, Timothy, is so important. Because it's our opportunity to stop and go, is it me? Is it me that needs to hear this? Is it me that needs to be warned? Is it me that needs to be corrected? Is it me that needs to be changed? Before I rush off and assume it's you, is it I? So that I don't ever have to endure the pain of God coming and saying, To me, it is you, and look at what you have done. But you, man of God. He says, may be complete, and then he defines complete, equipped for every good work. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, listen to these words. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Why did God save you? Why did God give you eternal life? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. What are those good works? Those good works were prepared ahead of time for us to do. God has a to-do list for you. Has before time began. And what Paul is saying to Timothy... Timothy, you won't be able to do that to do list without the sacred scriptures. So, before you and I rush out there into the world to make a difference with our lives, make sure that we have our Bible in our hands, to do the good works that God has for you, you got to be equipped, you got to be ready, able to do them so three things start stay steady study for some of us in response to today you just need to start reading the scripture the great news is is we're doing it together as a church family see at the bottom of your listening guide that you received on the way in what this week's scripture readings are so just jump in with us and hey great news you already missed leviticus man so it's over You know, don't worry about going and picking it back up again. Hardest part's over. If you're not reading the scripture, start. If you are reading the scripture, stay steady. Keep doing it. If you miss a day, don't quit. Jump back in. And if you are reading, but God is stirring you, I can do more. I want to go a little bit deeper than study. Don't just read. Read with a pen. Read with your notes, ask questions, think about it, read slower. But all of us have a response because all of us have things to do. And to do them, God has given us his word. Let's pray.